Good morning. It's good to see each of you here today. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to worship with you. I'm grateful for my pastor uh, who allowed me the chance to, to stand in the pulpit here today. And he, I would ask that you pray for him, not only because he actually is here today and has to endure this time with you, but uh, he is leaving out later today uh, to represent our church and, and the body of Christ at the Southern Baptist Convention. He was supposed to fly out earlier, but with flight delays and pilot shortages and so forth, he's glad, and Josh, I'm glad you're here with us. I pray that he's able to actually get a flight out later. And the bigger picture, pray for all that takes place this week as our convention gathers. It is a, it is a, a pivotal time in the life of our convention. And I, I, I pray that you would feel that and that you would go to the Lord on behalf of his church in a big way. Ruth Ann, thank you for reading. Uh, I'm really glad it was you and not me because I didn't have to read all the ites, okay? So you did a great job. Thank you for reading and leading us in worship through that. Uh, today, we're going to unpack a story that, quite frankly, if I'm really honest with you, that I have known my entire life. Like many of you, I heard it in Sunday school as a child, uh, at home with my family, uh, vacation Bible school, weeks like we just experienced. And so it's a story that I was familiar with. And so when Josh said, hey, look, here's the, the story, here's the passage, I have to tell you, I thought, man, that's a good one. And I, I scored a home run on that. And then as I began reading that passage each day for several days, I had an aha moment. And uh, Jay kind of shared it a couple weeks ago. He was preaching on Jacob and Esau and another great story of our faith. And, and he made the confession, not, this is my words, not his, that quite often he realized that stories that we're familiar with, perhaps we kind of don't pay them the, the homage or dig into them and, and therefore gain the truths that God intends for us. Well, well, that's where I found myself in Exodus chapter 3 when I was looking at the account of Moses and the burning bush. As a matter of fact, as I was digging into it, I had a, aha, an aha moment. And, and with 30-plus years of ministry, I started thinking I couldn't remember a time that I had ever taught on this passage. I couldn't remember a time that I had ever, uh, when I was writing Sunday school curriculum and so forth, where I had written on it. And I went back and I, some old files and did some homework and, and couldn't find anything. And I have to tell you that the time that I've had to spend in this passage has been really good for me. There's been a lot of wrestling. And today I, I hope that perhaps there's some things uh, that come to light, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit in, our, in this place that will cause you to, to wrestle a little bit about what God wants to reveal to you today in this place. And so as we continue on, I would ask if you would, just join me in a time of prayer together. Father, thank you so much just for the fact that you allow us to be a part of what you've got going on. And Father, I'm grateful for what you're doing uh, in your church here, and Father, what you're doing through your church. Father, thank you for allowing me just in a very small way just to, uh, just to join in. And Father, I pray that 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 would be the realization, the prayer of each of us, that we get to be a part of your church. And Father, through that, the opportunities and the responsibilities and the, the encounters and the relationships that you have in store for us. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us, that you would get me out of the way, that you speak to us in a new and perhaps a fresh way. And Father, that, uh, that you'd reveal your truth to us. Sir, thank you for Jesus today. Thank you for all that he is, all that he's done. Father, the very fact that we're able to even be in this place today. And I just claim this in, in his beautiful name. Amen. 
So this passage that Ruth Ann read, it's the first 12 verses of Exodus chapter 3. There's 22 verses. It's a, it's a pretty short chapter. And, and it's, a, it's a very unique story. And to kind of help you understand some of the uniqueness of it, it's a story that takes place, and it's kind of midstream in the life of Moses. A little background, Moses was 80 years of age when this story took place. And so by our terms, we might call him a senior adult. Now, if you're 80 plus, don't be offended by that, okay? But if you really dig in and you recognize some of the background of Moses, you go, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. Moses was 80 years old. He had an incredible story of what had taken place in his life up to then. Moses was of Hebrew birth, as, you, as found in, in Exodus chapter 2. At birth, for his protection, he was given up by his birth mother. You know the story, many of you, who's placed in a basket and set afloat on the water. Well, then Pharaoh's daughter, who was out there bathing, you know the story. She found the basket and opened up the basket. Can you imagine what that was like that day? There's this baby in a basket. She takes the baby home, and she decides, I'm going to raise this child in Pharaoh's palace. Well, don't know how much she knew about raising children, but God in his creativity and his sovereignty, her servant girl was Moses' biological sister. It gets better. And she tells the boss, so to speak, she tells Pharaoh's daughter, she says, look, I got somebody who can help you. I know a lady who can help nurse this child and bring health and life to it and so forth. And so she brings her mom, Moses' mother, into the picture. And only God can do something like that. Well, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace, one of Hebrew birth, but he was raised in royalty. And so he was kind of standing between two worlds. If you know how the story goes, as an adult, one who'd been very privileged growing up, he saw what was taking place between the Egyptians, those of his people of, of upbringing, but also those of his birth people, the Israelites, and he saw the disparity there. He saw the way the Israelites were treated. And the scripture goes on to tell us prior to Exodus 3 that Moses took the life of the Egyptian. See, there was a moment in time where he witnessed this Egyptian individual that was treating an Israelite in a way that was less than honorable. And he was angry. And the scripture tells us that he killed that Egyptian. Well, as a result, Moses had to get out of Dodge. Scripture says he fled. And in that, there's significant things because not only was he ostracized from those who brought him up, the Egyptians, the ones he lived under their protection and, and uh, their upbringing and their provision, but he was also ostracized from the Hebrews, from the Israelites, his people, because he had broken the law. He had broken the ethics, the code of ethics, so, so to speak. And so Moses was pretty much a man without a country, a man without a people. Wrap your head around that for a moment. Well, as this passage picks up, here is Mo. And Mo, about 40 years past all that when he's left Egypt. He's on the scene, and where Ruth Ann read, it tells us that he's out on the countryside. And he's taking care of his father-in-law, Jethro. He's taking care of his sheep. And... I have to tell you, that may not sound real romantic to you, and if that's the case, you would be correct. See, what Moses was doing, he was taking care, and the Scripture talks about sheep quite a bit, and I have learned firsthand, it's true, sheep are some of the dumbest, nastiest, craziest critters 
that God could put on this earth. In 91, I had a chance to live for a short while in the land down under in a place called Penguin, Tasmania. And to support myself, I worked on a sheep farm. And I would love to tell you it was fantastic. Can I tell you the truth? It was terrible. It was wintertime there. It was the rainy season. And I didn't know anything about sheep until I got there. And then what I learned when I left, I wish I could forget every bit of it. And if I'm really honest, though, it was not a mountaintop experience. But I will tell you my experience there on the sheep farm, the Lord taught me, revealed to me, why Scripture talks about, refers to us as sheep. Well, here's the thing about it. Those days working on the sheep farm in Tasmania, rainy season, cold, literally every morning it would start out early in the morning. And we would ride around the paddocks. That's what they call pastures in Australia. And we would find sheep that during the night, they just would give up on life. And they would lay down in a puddle. And we'd have to stand them up and massage their legs and get the blood circulating. And did I say they were nasty? And then you would find uh, a, a, a lamb that had been birthed. And we have to care for that lamb and, and try to help it maintain its life and, and rejoin it with its mother. i got to tell you, it was not a lot of fun. And this is what Moses is doing. He's tending sheep. He's doing something that wouldn't be probably revered as the greatest occupation, the greatest vocation, but that's what he's doing. The thing about it, it wasn't even his sheep. It was for his daddy-in-law. The scripture says that he was taking those sheep, moving them toward Horeb. And the scripture that Ruth Ann read says that in the midst of that, he looked off and he saw this bush burning. Now, I have to tell you the truth. That might kind of rattle some cages. At my house, I have a big burn pile, and that burn pile gets pretty big. I don't, I don't live in a neighborhood with an HOA, so I can do that. And sometimes that burn pile gets a little bit crazy. And there are times when my wife says, hey, are you sure the burn pile's okay? Well, that burn pile's gotten stacked pretty high. Well, Moses is out there, and he sees this burning bush, and he's intrigued. And he goes over to check it out. He goes, wow, there's a bush burning. And the crazy thing was, not just the bush was burning, but it was not being consumed. And in the middle of that, God does something pretty cool. He speaks to Moses. And, and through a course or through a process of, of conversation, he reveals himself in a significant way. Today, as we look at that passage and, and on through the end of the chapter, I want to share five truths that God kind of revealed to me. And many of you are a lot smarter than me, and I know that. Marcus Lanfair tells me that all the time, and I just say, yes, sir, you're right. But the thing is, there are so many truths that we can glean from Scripture, but today I want to I maybe just hang five out there for you. The first one from that passage in Exodus chapter 3 is simply this. The radical happens in the routine. Now let me explain that real quick, okay? Moses was doing the same thing that he did every day. If you're taking care of critters, whether it's your pet at home, you have to do the same thing every day. You've got to make sure that pet goes outside to use the bathroom. You've got to feed that pet. You've got to do all those routine things. Well, Moses had a whole flock of creatures to take care of, and every day his day would have been consumed in that. That was the routine. And there was nothing exciting. There was nothing joyful about it. It was just what he had to do day in and day out. In the middle of that, that routine, guess what? God spoke to him. God gave him a shout out. 
and he revealed himself in a fresh way. Now, I have to tell you the truth in that, in the routine, I thought about a passage found in Luke chapter 2. It's a passage that, that honestly we don't look at much except around Christmas. In the routine, there were some shepherds that were out taking care of their flock by night. You know where I'm going with this. And it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and he spoke to them. And then it says that a heavenly choir began to sing praise. The scripture says that the sky shone with the glory of the Lord. I got to tell you, I don't know what that looks like. I kind of think of like a heavenly fireworks display. I, I don't really know. But in the midst of routine, God revealed himself to Moses, just as he revealed himself to those shepherds to announce the birth of Christ. The radical things happen in the routine. I have to be honest with you, there's an area of my life that for all these years I've wrestled with, and, and it's the routine of spending time daily with the Heavenly Father. If you're like me, there's probably been times when you've known or recognized, I need to be more consistent. I need to be uh, more prudent in spending time with the Lord. I need to grow that relationship with Him. I need to grow some muscle in that. Well, can I tell you, there are times when I do that, and it's, it's exciting, and it's vibrant, and God speaks to me, and I'm like, yes! And then there are times where it's just kind of dry. There are times when, if I'm really honest, it's just not a priority. Well, i got to tell you, one of the greatest ways that we can catalyze God revealing himself in the routines of life is making sure that in habitual fashion, the discipline of going to him and saying, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. You know that already, but he wants to hear about it. Spending some time in Scripture, find some kind of little handiwork that he can use in that. It could be like me. I have a devotion guy that's emailed me while I'm asleep every night. And so when I wake up, it's in my inbox. Find something that works for you, and God will use that. You know, a lot of times we look upon our encounters with Christ, our encounters with the Lord in moments like this, and he does. He does reveal himself to us. He does encounter us. He does radical things. But really, these moments are also to set the tone for when we're on our own and how he wants to reveal, ourselves, reveal himself to us. The second thought is that God knows your name. Not only does God do radical things in the routines of life, but God knows your name. Now, I will tell you, I'm a guy, I'm a people guy. I love people most of the time. And I like to know people's name. And I was visiting with some of our college students this past week, and we read through this passage, and I asked some of them later, I said, hey, what was the first thing in that encounter at the burning bush that God said to Moses, well, they had read the passage. They said, well, God told them to, to take off his, your shoes because you're on holy ground. Well, you know, the first thing God said was Moses. Moses. He called him by name, not once but twice. He gave him a shout out. He wanted Moses to know that, hey, look, I've got something for you. And it is unique. It is specific. It is special for you. Can I tell you the truth? God knows my name. He knows your name. Scripture tells us that before we were even formed, God knew us, and he calls us by name. I love the passage in Isaiah 43. It says, I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. That's pretty powerful when we stop to marinate in that. I was thinking about this, this truth right here, and many of you know God gave me two daughters, and they are my heart. 
I didn't know what to do with girls. I just thought I'd have boys, and I didn't really know what to do with that. And, uh, and so they have names on their birth certificate. Their names are, are, are Megan and Madison. Madison goes by Maddie. I had to get that out there. But as a dad of daughters who didn't know what to do with daughters, I gave them new names. You see, their names are by given by dad or Hank and Fred, okay? i let them tell you what that's all about. But their entire lives, they've been known by dad as Hank and Fred. And there's a backstory. And so they've had to endure for years when they were growing up. I might be helping with a field day at the school, and I'm going, Hank! And everybody's going, there's no Hank out here. Or I might be coaching a softball game and going, Fred! They're going, this is a girls' game. Who, who's out here named Fred? Well, they always knew who was calling out to them. It was Dad. Because that was Dad's name for them. Well, in like fashion, when he called, God called Moses' name out, verse 13, Moses is responding to what God's telling him. And he says, well, how would folks know? I mean, what's that look like? And in verse 13, it's, it's pretty cool when Moses says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said, Tell them, I am who I am. God said, told Moses, Tell them the great I am sent you. Well, you know what? In like fashion, it's, that's a pretty powerful statement. He said that, the elders of the Israelites will get that. They'll know who sent you when you say that. And there will be power in that. Well, there's not much power in this, except it gets my attention. You see, my daughters, in like fashion, when they want to get my attention, they may start out with dad. Sometimes I'm not always tuned in. And when they really want to get my attention, they'll go, row, row, row. And so with my daughters, I'm known by a name that originated with them. God knows your name. He knows my name. He knows everything about us. And he reveals himself to us and he wants to live life with us in a freshness and intimacy, a love life relationship. And today, that's because of Jesus Christ. The third thought. Not only does God reveal himself in the routines of life, not only does he know our name, but he knows our needs. And it goes beyond that. He supplies our needs. He knows where we are. He knows what's going on in our lives. And he knows exactly what we need. When Moses said, hey, look, what gifts? I got nothing. God said, don't worry, Mo, I got you. I got everything you need. You just got to place a confident trust in me. Just listen Follow, obey, and it's going to work out. God said, I'm not a great orator. What did God do? He sent Aaron to be the spokesman. Moses said, how will the Egyptians, how will the Israelites know? He says, tell them the great I am. And if he goes on, he, even in verse 18, he says, the Pharaoh is not going to let my people go originally. He says, but I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to do signs of wonder. And that's when God sent the plagues. You know the story, the account. He said, and after that, guess what's going to happen? Pharaoh's going to say, okay, get out of here. He supplied exactly what Moses needed in a pivotal moment in the life of Israel. God changed the, the mind of the Egyptian leader. He gained the attention of the Israelite elders. 
And then if you look in verse 21 and 22, this is pretty cool. I had a great conversation last week with a new friend. And it says that God gave the Israelites exactly what they needed. It says right here, And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Now, what's that all about? God went extravagant. He said, look, you're not just going to be able to leave. You're going to leave with some stuff. You're going to be taken care of. It's not about material possessions. It's about having what was needed. They said, you're going to have clothing for your children. And those Israelite women, all they had to do was ask for it. Ask their neighbor, perhaps even the very one whose house they were serving in, the Egyptian whose house they were serving in, and they're going to give it to you. Now, here's what's cool about it. You see, the needs of the Israelites were met, their well-being, if you will. But if you continue on in Scripture, those very same fine metals, the silver and the gold, God was well, he's working ahead of things because that's what was intended for construction of the tabernacle, which would bring glory to his name. Now, of course, the Israelites, just like you and just like me, they, they messed it up. They messed it up. If you know how the story goes later on in the Old Testament, they created the, the golden calf to worship. They missed the boat on that. And God, in his power and his redemption, he walked through that with them. But God provided for their needs in extravagant fashion. And he did so in a way to bring glory to him. Not only does God supply our needs, but he does something else even greater than that. And God invites us into his holiness. You see, when Moses came up to the burning bush, and he called him by name, and he said, Moses, take off your shoes. But can I tell you something? He was drawing Moses in. He wanted Moses to experience the fullness and the richness of all that he had for him. I've got to tell you the truth. There's a lot of times I miss out on that. And some of you may say, what was the significance of taking off his shoes? Well, in that day, in that culture, and quite frankly, in many cultures around the world today, taking off shoes represents a few different things. One, it represents an awe or a reverence or a respect. Maybe you've been in a culture, you've taken off your shoes before you go in somebody's home. It's a respect. It's a reverence, if you will. It's a giving up a personal comfort or your own privileges, or your own selfish pursuits. It can represent that. It can also acknowledge I'm removing anything that would potentially distract me from what the Father has for me. Because in His holiness, I want to experience it. I want to live in the fullness of it. I want to have all that He intends for me. And I don't want anything to get in the way of that. And God invited Moses into his holiness. Can I tell you something? Today, in the new covenant that we live under, God invites us to be set apart in relationship with him. He invites us into an intimate love relationship through Jesus Christ. And not only does he know your name, he beckons us by name into an intimate relationship with him. Very personal, very sincere, and one that he desires in wholehearted fashion because of Christ. I was a member of the French club when I was in high school for one month. Now, I've got to confess to you that I never had a lick of French. 
You see, when I was 11th grade, it was homeroom, and this was into the first semester, and I didn't want to stay in homeroom that day, and it was kind of like an activity period, and there was nothing else to go to. That was the only thing meeting, so I said, told my homeroom teacher, I'm going to French club. Now, I think that homeroom teacher had a pretty good idea that there was more to it than that, but I did what I said I was doing. I showed for French club. Well, that was the day that they were electing officers for the French club. And all these folks who had taken French, and they were all about, you know, French and French things, and I like French fries, but I got elected to be vice president of the French club that day. And I'm telling you, I'm sure everybody was impressed. Well, that lasted until the next month when it was publicly shared that I could not be the vice president I couldn't be any officer, nor could I even be in the French club because I hadn't done anything related to taking French. Well, my French is limited, therefore. But there's one phrase, and I'm going to butcher it, so you French people forgive me. We look upon it when there's an invitation extended, RSVP. Well, that stands for a French phrase, Responde s'il vous plaît. Respond if you please. God invites us into relationship with him. He invites us into his holiness. He invites us to be set apart with him, not to be like the world, not to just hang our hat and be comfortable with, with the everyday, but to RSVP in the relationship that he's extended, he's invited us into. The last thought that I want to share with you today is that God extends overwhelming grace to each of us. I got to tell you the truth, the fact that I even get to, to be here today, I am a picture, a walking, talking, living picture of God's grace. The past several years, I've been blessed to be involved in ministry to the Mississippi Department of Corrections. If you'd have told me a dozen years ago how God would use that in my life and, and to stretch me, I would have said you're crazy. But God has what grace is and the truth of his grace and the revelation of his grace has become real to me through those opportunities and through those relationships. And as I get to live life with men and women who are incarcerated for whatever reason, I recognize they're not really that much different than I am. And that the same God that knows me and calls me by name and desires to walk in a relationship with me is the same God that desires the same for them. And just like God wants to use, use the story of Moses for his glory, God wants to use Rose's story for his glory, God wants to use those men and women and their story for his glory once they accept the invitation extended to them. Well, in this story with Moses, the backstory I shared it with you as we started, Moses had a story. And if I'm really honest, he was a guy that, probably myself and many of us would have looked upon and said, there's no way God can use him in such a significant fashion. I mean, what does he have to bring to the table? What can God do in him and through him to bring glory to his name? Well, you know why that's possible? Because of God's grace. Because of God's provision, because his presence and his power demonstrated through his grace. You know what happened later on? Past Exodus chapter 3, God delivered over 600,000 Israelites from captivity. Wow. Today, I want to ask you a question. How does God want to use your story? 
How does he want to speak into your life? Is he calling you by name? Is he inviting you into relationship? What is it that's keeping you from RSVPing and saying, I'm in? I don't understand everything. I don't get it all. I'm a little bit nervous, but okay, I'm in. Because I got to tell you, whatever it is, God's grace and his power, I'm telling you, it can, it can handle all that. And he can and he will do incredible things in your life and through your life and through this church if we'll avail ourselves to him. You know what, today I'm pretty confident that there's a Moses or two in this room. I'm pretty confident there may be 10 or 12 or 20 or 30. And there are folks just like me that go, I, there's not much I got. I, I don't have anything. But God takes something that is maybe by world standards pretty insignificant, and he has the incredible power to do significant things. Richard prayed with me earlier, and I was so grateful, and he prayed John 3.30, that God would become greater and we would become lesser. Guys, that's got to be the thought and the desire and the prayer of our hearts that God would do great things, not because of us, but through us for his glory. Today, I'm grateful for God's presence in my life. I'm grateful for the fact that he chose to allow this young man from Mississippi to be a part of what he's got going on. I'm grateful that he's allowed me to serve him in some unique ways and in some very special places with some very special people. I'm grateful that he chose to save me from myself. I'm grateful that even when I screw up, his love for me is like the Energizer Bunny. It just keeps on keeping on. And his redemption and his grace continues to be extended to me. I'm grateful for the sacrifice of his son Jesus on my behalf. You know, this morning you may perhaps feel that. You may be a little bit like me. You may be someone who has recognized God's provision in his life, and, and, and you may have asked Christ to be your Savior, and you're like me, and you're working hard to make him more and more your Lord. And maybe you just need to give a shout out and say, Lord, I am grateful for you, and give praise to him. Today, as we close our service and as our worship team comes up, you, can, you have that opportunity. You can express your gratitude to the Heavenly Father. You can do it right where you are. Or perhaps you need to come to the altar in a position of humility and respect. Just say, Father, I acknowledge your goodness. I acknowledge your power. I acknowledge your presence in my life. And I want to give you glory. I have to believe in a room this size, there are some individuals that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm pretty confident of it. Now, I don't say that as a gimmick or, or trying to indenture you or anything like that, but today can be the day of your salvation. Nothing would delight us more than have the opportunity to answer questions and walk alongside you. It's not because we have everything figured out, but because we believe that the Heavenly Father desires a relationship with each one of us, and he initiated, initiated it through Christ. And so today, you may need to say, I'm a sinner, and I want to experience this grace that Rowan's been talking about. There will be folks at the front, and they would love to pray with you. There will be folks over in the fireside room. They'd love to visit with you and talk with you more about that. Today, there may be those of you, as Mike said earlier, it may be your first time to worship with us. We're so glad you're here. 
or maybe you've been here a lot. Maybe you're a regular attender. You've been here for a while, but you've never driven down a stake and said, this is my church. I want to invest here. I want to live in the sweetness of fellowship. I want to invest my gifting and all that God's placed on me for his kingdom service to this church. You may be looking for a home church. This is a great place. I highly recommend it. Wherever you are today, there is something, and I believe this for every one of us, there's something God wants to reveal to us today through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so today, as God calls your name, what is it that he has for you? We're going to have a, a time of commitment. Our praise team's going to lead us. Many of you, you've been there. You've seen the routine. You know what it looks like. But today, let this be a fresh time for you. Ask the Lord what he wants to reveal to you. As we worship, as we pray, as God does God's stuff. As we move into that time, can I lead us in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of your scripture. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives and for the fact that you keep on keeping on in who you are and the way you deal with us. And Father, I pray that today that you would work in our hearts. Father, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move. Father, that you would do things that cannot be explained by men, but only through the love and provision and the power of the name of Jesus. And so, sir, I claim this today with high expectations. Amen.